Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern varieties. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make. But don't say we didn't warn you. Oh, we're dummies. What? What 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 did what what did we do? We missed the most fucking obvious thing. What? Taming of a shrew. Ugh, save it for the 301. Yeah. It's okay. We're going to have well, to do yeah, we'll but the, that's the we will. that's the obvious. Do we have a yes. should we let's make a note of let's, that. Yes, gonna, let's make I a document it. I'm doing for it. I'm 5 doing years it. from now when we decide to do the 301. It's happening. Because don't nobody want to touch it with a 10-foot pole yeah. or any kind of pole or or even a finger. Shakespeare show. We are your hosts, Jazz Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock, and together we are Whamlet. And this week, after four and a half long Jesus. years, <laughs> it's Taming of the Shrew 201. Whoop. <laughs> it's been so long. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show and come back for more. Yeah. I hesitated real hard on that. Yeah. <laughs> You I just, what? I struggle with what's to enjoy about this play anymore. That's all. It's, well, this play is a constant to, struggle. They don't have to enjoy the play, but they can enjoy us talking about Amen the play. Amen <laughs> to that. Yes, it's true. Because we're a goddamn delight. Yes. Yes. Even when we're talking about stuff that makes my hair feel like it's on fire. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, so before we go there... Uh, it's happy hour time, which is a, a cocktail of stuff that makes us happy in this dumpster fire of life when, you know, the people of Ukraine are suffering and, uh, and other terrible things are happening. Mm-hmm. We're, we try to f- focus for just a few minutes on, you know, inclusivity and anti-racist mm-hmm. pedagogy and, and sometimes just puppies, you know, mm-hmm. um, and try to recommend shit that's not terrible. So my mm-hmm. recommendation this week um, is for two organizations that um, uh, ASC has partnered with while we run Romeo and Juliet, and that is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and Mental Health America. Um, and let me tell you how awesome these groups are. So AFSP has, like, we called them and we were like, hey, you know, suicide rates are up. We get that. We're doing a play that features uh, you know, teen suicide and lots of violence and, and, you know, what you got, how can, how can we help each other here? And they were like, Oh, you want help? Okay. They have volunteered to place a, a mental health services person at every single performance of Romeo and Juliet for us for free. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, they have, so a volunteer will be there during, uh, regular shows in case someone is triggered by the violence and our particular production, it is bloody. 
Like we, there's mm-hmm. live blood on stage um, and it's violent. Yeah. Um, so like it's especially triggering in a lot of ways for people that are sensitive to that, to gore and stuff like that. Um, so there's like they they're part of our context room in our upper lobby. They have this huge booth of stuff um, and there's a person monitoring it every time. And particularly dur- during student matinees, there is a like mental health first aid trained person on site for students. And I just like and it's free like they I guess they get hella grants and they can just like send people out. But like for every single performance through the run of the show, which I think is the fucking coolest and Mental Health America, the local branch here, has done trainings for our actors, for our staff on like mental health first aid, on suicide prevention, on um, being a a you know suicide crisis helper, not not a not someone actually trained to go in and like stop it, but someone to connect, you know, being the connector mm-hmm. to resources for someone who might be exhibiting symptoms of of suicidal thoughts and stuff. Um they're they're so awesome. Just just the uh the people in our branch, but like the it's a national organization, but the people at our branch have been so, so great coming in and and training everybody so that we're taking care of our actors like off stage because this is some really heavy shit in a very Mm -hmm. heavy time Mm -hmm. um so i just want to shout out my appreciation to those organizations because they're fucking rad um so send them some support your way look them up they i'm sure have a chapter near you either one of them so that's the american foundation for suicide prevention and mental health america that's fucking cool yeah yeah, I can dig it. I am mental health first aid certified. Hey, um, I know I got a couple of new certifications to add to my you know professional development folder. So that's yeah. really fucking cool. I'm yeah. proud of you, babe. Yeah, it's it was it was really great. It was eight hours well spent. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Well, on a vaguely similar but mostly different note. Um, <laughs> uh my my recommendation this week is a brand new book that was published like two days ago um it's called dead collections a novel by isaac fellman f-e-l-l-m-a-n i am 75 pages in and i am obsessed so i'm just gonna I'm going to read you the back of the book blurb so that y'all can be as obsessed as I am. Okay. Um, So here we go. When archivist Saul meets Elsie, the larger than life widow of a moderately famous television writer who's come to donate her wife's papers, there's an instant spark. But Saul has a secret. (gasps) He suffers from an illness called vampirism. Oh, dear. And hides from the sun by living in his basement office. On their way to falling in love, the two traverse grief, delve into the internet fandom they once unknowingly shared, and navigate the realities of anti-trans discrimination and the stigmas of carrying the, quote, vampire disease. Then, when strange things start happening at the archive, Saul must embrace even more of the unknown to save himself and his job. Dead Collections is a wry novel full of heart and empathy that celebrates the journey, the difficulties and joys in finding love and comfort within our own bodies. So it's a vampire novel. It's a vampire romance novel. It's a vampire romance novel that takes place in a fucking archive. And also our hero is both a vampire and a trans man. And I'm 
obsessed. Whoa. It's like this is literally it's like catnip in a book. <laughs> it's, it's got like, all the things that you like. It's got all the things that are good. Yeah. Um and it it came it sort of it came across my radar um because a, an author that I love um had written the the review of it for the uh New York Times book review, New York Times review of books, whatever mm-hmm. that their sure. book supplement is, that one. Um and she was so excited that she'd gotten to write a review for the New York Times that she like posted it on her Instagram and I was like, "Wait a minute, this book sounds amazing." Um and I'm teaching a queer lit class in the fall and I was like, "What if I put this on my syllabus?" Um so I had to get it and read it and it's Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's it's perfect excuse to read a book (laughs) yeah but also it's like really really good um and like i am i am about supporting um the the queer community and and in particular trans people all the time but particularly in this moment that we're having gracious yes hey florida texas get actually all the way fucked yeah just just saying and i'm just gonna immediately hedge that with like i know it's not just like random joe schmo living in texas and florida i know it's not your fault but like fucking vote them out y'all vote them out really yeah that's kind of the only recourse at this point i I read Mm -hmm. like a really detailed twitter thread about that the other day Mm -hmm. it's like stop telling parents and families of of trans kids to leave the state yeah, and start telling everyone you know to go to the polls yeah. and vote and act like your friends and family's lives depend on it. Because maybe they do. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Ah, why does everything yeah. suck? Yeah. Yeah. So, so so much for a happy, happy hour. Actually, that book does sound amazing. I, it's really, it's really, really good. I want to borrow it from you at some point. It's yeah. really, really good. And it's like, it takes place in San Francisco. So like Love all it. of the, um, all of the other sort of cast of characters filling out are just like this, these great sort of high vis queer or queer adjacent. Mm-hmm you know denizens of the underworld of, of archives San Francisco. Um, yeah it's fantastic <laughs> like uh the um Saul the the main character his um assistant is a a, a mid-50s lesbian uh named Florence who is described as this is so good it's so good hang on let me see if I can find it ah Florence is cool in the way that only older lesbians can be cool Strong forearms, pinky ring, flinty look. I have met Flo, it sounds like. Right? I know exactly who that is. Right? I, I know exactly that. who she, like it's it's a perfect description. It tells us nothing about like what she looks like, but yeah. everything about who she is. And yeah. it's just like I love I I love. I love. Yeah. And she's a bitch. <laughs> she's <laughs> the she's kind of the worst. And like, anyway. Um but I love it's good. I love the book. I, the book is great, and Sounds that description like is great. And and there's like beautiful, beautiful meditations on Saul's body because he's he's navigating both his new like vampire body, mm-hmm. but also his new like male body, and is mm. still transitioning even though his body's like frozen because he's a vampire now. And like huh. it's beautiful, beautiful meditations on on what it means to like live 
in a body to have a human form even mm. when maybe there's something going on that makes you feel some kinds of ways about it's anyway get the book read it okay. also isaac fellman is a trans author himself um right on. so it's like extra extra supporting that's good yeah i um, would hope and, so frankly yes and so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read his blurb because okay okay it's also good sorry i can't <laughs> i love no, it's this okay. book you're very excited about it that's what happy hour is for it's great yeah um so Isaac Fellman is the author of The Breath of Sun, published under his pre-transition first name, which won the 2019 Lambda Literary Award for LGBT science fiction, fantasy, and horror. <laughs> right? Um, he is an archivist at a queer historical society in San Francisco. Like, fuck I mean, me up, Isaac Fellman. They always say, write what you know. Yes. Right? So yes. That's, an, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, yeah. So I'm working, I'm working through that. And, uh, I, I think I read the first 10 pages and was like, yep, putting this on my syllabus. It so sounds good. really good. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, okay. So it rabbit holing, we're going <laughs> to climb desperately out of that rabbit hole. I feel like we're doing everything we possibly can to not talk about the taming of the shrew. <laughs> uh, actually, before we get to taming of the shrew, I've got oh one my God. other. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, I'm kidding. So this is a uh, 201 level episode, which means that we do operate on the assumption that you have a basic familiarity with the taming of the shrew. We're not going to do a synopsis, mostly because it will make me want to throw a chair through a window. Um, if you're if you're brand new to shrew, or if you have some remembered misconceptions like romantic rosy colored memories of the shrew or just like need to refresh your memory generally we we do have a 101 episode all <laughs> the way back in episode nine of season one so that know, was november of 17 yeah that yeah. was november of 17 is the date that was on the outline for 101 was november like 26 like right around thanksgiving that's crazy i know <laughs> i mean what is time That's so long ago it was four and a half years ago friend who yeah we've been avoiding this one because i think and i i don't want to totally speak for you here but i've seen your reactions it fills us with rage um yeah i just don't like know. the play I yeah i like it yeah, I struggle to like it. I struggle to like it. And every time I think I've found something that makes it palatable, something else comes up to make that wrong again. So yeah. unless it's 10 things I hate about you, I don't want to think about this play. A seminal adaptation, irreplaceable, yeah. inimitable. The only good thing this play's ever given us. <laughs> Was Heath Ledger singing that song on the bleachers. That's oh, that's what it gave John us. Heath Ledger's so fucking dreamy. Oh, oh my god. R.I.P. Heath Ledger. Oh, he's just goodness. permanently in the spank goodness, bank. Goodness. <sighs> yes, I did just say spank bank on a podcast <laughs> that is part of my tenure dossier. So you're welcome, Alvernia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so on 201 level episodes, we go narrow and deep on a couple of topics relating to the play, but today we're just kind of, um, so basically what we're talking about is how this is not a romantic comedy. Fuck off. Everyone who says it is, especially yeah. Casey Chalk from the American conservative get fucked. Yeah. Yeah. The immediate <clears throat> impetus to put this play back in the lineup for 201 episodes was <laughs> that, article. That, that article that just made the casual, very reductive uh, assessment that 
universally, the, it is universally understood that The Taming of the Shrew is about romance. Is it? I don't know if any of Shakespeare's plays are about romance. Like, yeah, I, I, I just mean, don't. Well, like, don't, okay, let's unpack that. Jess, what is romance? What does that mean? What does that word mean Aubrey. to you? What does fuck that mean off. to you? I so it's it's romantic love. It's eros, right? Um, it's in in the context of Shakespeare, heterosexual, sure, and white, sure, and cis, and and yeah. you know it's it's the sexual feelings it's the it's the in in my pants feelings <laughs> <laughs> i'm in my feelings right now but in particular in my pants feelings is what yeah, you're saying yeah it's the pants feeling it's the my- pants feeling <laughs> yes okay um and i think i i personally jess hamlet yeah. think it is possible to have romance without pants feelings sure me too but not I, I don't think that happens in Shakespeare. Oh no, of course not. No, obviously yeah. not. I think I think um, in Shakespeare, um, unless it's male, male, love, unless it's homoerotic, then. It's, but I still think that's the pants feelings are. I mean, I we've been down together in my dreams, in my fisting, sleep, but yes, I whatever. Hear you. But yes. you, you fist <laughs> what fisting each other's throats? Like, yeah. come on, that's pants feelings, girl. I mean, it is. Yes, I'm, I'm talking that's, more uh, about like Coriolanus some of the friendships. For, for anyone that's, who missed that, that's Coriolanus. And we um, have three full episodes on Coriolanus because we, we just really? couldn't. We have three? We do because Haley was 301. Oh, she was talking about rats. Yeah, it was great. Rats, rats, rats. It was rats, grand. Rats. She's yeah, awesome. But yeah, that was a play we couldn't stay away from. Well, because uh, it's so fucking sexy. It's fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking more like um, the, the idea of, uh, you know, the counter argument that people make to like, oh, these characters don't have like gay feelings for each other. It's just like, you know, romantic uh, friendship or men's relationships were different mm. back then. To which I say, I mean, they were gay but... as fuck. But also, <laughs> yeah, know, there's, I mean, there's just, that. you know, they didn't you know. they didn't have the the same words that right that we have. right right. Um, okay, but I mean, for you personally, romance, like, kind of like I. <laughs> You want I, me to I, describe my perfect date? Is that I is mean, that well, that's kind of here? what I'm getting at. That's kind of what I'm getting at because, like, you can't you can't just say, like, oh, this is about romance without like defining what that term means. Okay. So, thank you All for right. the classical breakdown of what that of what that means. But like, sure. when we think of romantic comedies now, like, I I know uh-huh. of a lot of tropes that yeah. that we think of. There's like the the enemies to lovers. That's the mm-hmm. Beatrice and Benedict romantic trope. Mm-hmm. Arguably, that's happening here, mm-hmm. right? The enemies, sort of enemies to lovers. Um, yeah, to I, sort, I, of I, lovers. sort of lovers. Sort of. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Um, sorry. Sorry. But 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 there's you know plenty of other like romantic tropes like the the grand gesture trope the mm-hmm. you know those things from like film but right and that's kind of mostly what I know. About. But like, you know, ro- romance. What is that? <laughs> what is? I, I mean, so really, this has become the Jess Hamlet dating show. <laughs> really, <laughs> really, where we're going today? Uh, all right. So, 
for me, I guess, romance is finding the extraordinary in the ordinary. Um, I think, I think, you know, there, there is, there's a time and a place for grand jesters, but for Mm -hmm. me, where, where the rubber of romance meets the road of romance to loving this metaphor, mix metaphors, (laughs) um, is, is finding, finding ways to honor that, those feelings and that connection, um, in the everyday, like, you know, you're just, you're making dinner together and one of you grabs the other one and like spins you around the room and you do like a cute little dance for like Mm -hmm. a second. And then you get back to chopping vegetables or whatever, like that kind of thing. Like the, Mm -hmm. the, the finding, finding ways to celebrate each other and your relationship and the things that you love most about each other Mm -hmm. in, in the, the quotidian in the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Taming of the Shrew doesn't have any of that. No, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't have any of that. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, I think, a really great definition of of romance. Like, I <clears throat> I find so much, so many, like, romantic gestures and things like that, like, really cringy and they make me uncomfortable. <laughs> like, they make me really, un- like, deeply uncomfortable. Um, so I should not propose to you via the Jumbotron at a home football game. Definitely not. God damn it, Aubrey. I know. Now I'm gonna have to make some phone calls and cancel I that. <laughs> cancel your plans. Cancel the Skywriter right the fuck ah, now. Not the right Skywriter. The fuck now. That's a it's non-refundable not... deposit. It makes me so cringy. Like so. Um I, on yeah. the other hand, kind of love grand gestures. Yeah. Um, but I also love, you know, the the ordinary. Yeah, and that's what I love more. I think grand gestures aren't sustainable. That's yeah. not like you said. There's a time yeah. and a place, and like you got to earn those. You you don't get yeah. those every day. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, oh god, yeah. <laughs> <I just, laughs> You're so uncomfortable, babe. I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> babe, so uncomfortable. With it's that. okay. It's okay. Ah, no one's grand gesturing my, you right now. My little like demi romantic self really has trouble. Lots of lots of trouble with that. That's um, okay. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So moving from that. Okay. So we've unpacked Mm -hmm. like modern romance, your, your take, sort of my take, a classical take on romance. I I just, I just needed us to like spend a moment on that term Mm -hmm. before we jump into like Mm -hmm. why I don't think this play matches any of that. Yeah. Um, But Calgon yeah, uh, take me away. Yeah. Um, did you want to s- start no, off things no, no, or okay? No, no, no. Okay, okay. One sentence. I'll <laughs> toss it in wherever it needs to go. Great, excellent. Okay, so what I really want to sh- what a the okay I want to counter that assertion that the Taming of the Shrew is about romance, um, by starting with uh. The the argument that lots of people make when when trying to argue for the merits of um, like the the love at first sight trope working for Taming of the Shrew 
or or the um, and I used to buy into this myself and 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 part of me still very much wants to and I and I can't anymore. Um, I'm very much at war with myself. I think I even mentioned this in our last episode about that. I'm so torn about this play in a lot of ways. But but w- one assertion that that theater makers in particular try to do to make this story palatable, right? To make the casual, consistent gaslighting of Kate um, to, and, and the abuse that she suffers at Petruchio's hands. To make that palatable... Many I've seen many productions that make the choice that Petruchio is in some way like like all of what he's doing is an act of compassion and he's trying to teach Kate how to like play the game, how to, you know, let people think she is one thing and but really like be herself when she's with him or whatever. Um, and part of that is a a. Uh, an examination of some stage directions that have changed location in Act One, Scene Two, and they try to make the argument that that Petruchio also is performing his misogyny. Um, so, Jess, I'm going to share a document with you, okay? And just so that you can look at it with me. So what I have, um, and it's it's fascinating from like a textual variation standpoint, like it really is. Um, so what we've got is in the 1623 folio in Act 1, Scene 2, the towards the tail end of the – Act 1, Scene 2 is when Kate and Petruchio first meet, right? And it's the whole like witty banter back and forth, if I be waspish, best beware my sting, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Petruchio has – a a line towards the end of that when when Kate's dad uh, and Gremio and Tranio come back into the room, where where he, you know, he says a bunch of stuff. So, Jess, would you mind reading in the in the far left hand side under the sixteen twenty three folio, Petruchio's "Mary, so I mean." Yes, <clears throat> I would mind. No, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mary, so I mean, sweet Catherine, in thy bed, and therefore setting all this chat aside, thus in plain terms, your father hath consented that you shall be my wife, your dowry greed on, and I will you, and will you nil you, I will marry you. Now, Kate, I am a husband for your turn, for by this light whereby I see thy beauty, thy beauty that doth make me like thee well, thou must be married to no man but me. Enter Baptista, Gremio, and Tronio. For I am he, am born to tame you, Kate, and bring you from a wild Kate to a Kate comfortable as other, conformable as other household Kates. Here comes your father. Never make denial. I must and will have Catherine to my wife. Thank you. Okay, just so that we've gotten those words on air. Um, And you'll notice I interjected right at a specific moment for when that Mm -hmm. stage direction happens. Baptista, Mm -hmm. Gremio, and Tranio enter after Petruchio says, Thou must be married to no man but me. And then he launches into, I am he born to tame you, Kate. Um, one thing that he does is, one, he switches between, he switches fairly frequently between the formal you and the informal thou, um, which, you know, you can argue, and I sometimes and often do argue that that, you know, slipping from the formal to the informal, it denotes some intimacy or at least an attempt at intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because... Um, well, we don't, it's fallen into disuse in English 
now, but like in Spanish, mm-hmm. French, other romantic languages, um, there are two forms of you, right? One is yeah. reserved for like much more respectful or distance mm-hmm. uh, in relationships, and one is for intimates and friendships. Um, so Petruchio does drop <clears throat> into that here, and then he bounces right back out of it as soon as Baptista, Gremio, and Tranio enter the room, which many take as an invitation to like that that Petruchio is all of a sudden back to performing, right? His his language goes from, for by this light I see thy beauty, thy beauty that doth make me like thee well. Thou must be married to no man but me, right? It's very intimate. Seems like for her alone. And then, I am he born to tame you, Kate. And I'm going to bring you from a wild Kate, and I'm going to tame you, and I'm going to blah, 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 blah. I'm going to do all these things, right? And it seems, you know, you can make the choice that it is a performative choice on his mm-hmm. part, right? That mm-hmm. he is doing, he is saying those things specifically for the audience of men who have just walked into the room. Mm-hmm. You can. So that's where the stage direction lives in the folio. And Which, why? to be clear, is the only early modern authoritative text that yes. we have. Yes. Uh, Shrew does not exist um, in print before the folio. Even though it was written in probably like 1594. So what happens, I don't know why, between uh, between 1623 Folio and many, many, many modern editions of this play um, is that that stage direction gets moved. It gets moved. Um, editors maybe decided that, you know, it should happen closer to when Petruchio actually says, here comes thy father, never make denial. Um, that could be, right? Uh, there's a, so what I have on this handout that I shared with you, Jess, is just, you know, some variations of like different editions over the years. So the one on the far right is from a 19, there's one like a 1900 uh, edition and a 1930s edition that both let Petruchio have the entire speech and then the stage direction happens. So he's saying all of this chunk of text to no one but Catherine and then the men enter. So that takes away that that audience of men, right? Um, other, even more modern editions, like a 1981 Arden, which is obviously is not the Arden 3, but still, um, a 2006 Cambridge School edition. Do you happen to have your Arden 3 on you? Is that what you're flipping no, through right now? No, no, oh, okay. no. It's in my office. I'm looking at the no New worries. Oxford. No worries. Um, yeah, I'd be curious to know where it is in the New Oxford. Um, so what those editors have done is... Uh, put the stage direction directly before the line, here comes your father, the last two lines of that speech. So again, that takes away most of the, uh, you know, opportunity to perform. I am he born to tame you, Kate. That stuff. He says those things to her and then the men enter, right? Here comes your father, never make denial. And what do they do in the New Oxford? Well, in the New Oxford, it's not even in... The stage direction is not even there? Well, it's not even or... in one... Is this... Am I reading your handout wrong that this is does not actually happen in Act 1, Scene 2? It does, does happen in Act 1, Scene 2. Not not yeah. in uh, not in the New Oxford. <laughs> what do they number the scene where Kate and Petruchio meet? I think it's 2-1, but I haven't found it yet. Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah, Super it's 2-1. Oh, well, maybe my handout got it wrong, to be honest. That could be completely possible. 
Um, right. uh, well, okay. Since so, this is a living so, document, I'll go ahead and fix it now. Um, the new Act Oxford, two, scene one. <laughs> new Oxford puts it in the exact same place as the folio. Okay. Okay. So they have restored it to where it is in the folio. Yeah. Which, and like, I'm going to look at my Norton. You know, also. <laughs> no, good idea. Um, which, like, frankly, you know, I. This is one of those things, one, where I'm kind of mad at editors for quote unquote fixing something that doesn't necessarily need to be fixed. Like there's one part of me that's like, just leave the fucking stage direction alone. It was put where it was put. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. My Norton puts it in the same place as the folio as well. Interesting. Okay. This is a Norton two that I've got, which is basically the Oxford text. So that's not super surprising. Sure. Um, okay. So, so, you know, so there's that, so there's that there's, there's for whatever reason, <laughs> you're going to find like every edition of the play in your house. Aren't you? I, I for sure. Am. <laughs> Here's me. I'm back. Okay. Now okay. My mic is picking me up. Okay. So the, the other, the one other edition I have in my apartment, um, which is a, a 1930 random it's an Oxford, but it's like an fake Oxford. Um, yeah. Puts the stage direction after I must and will have Catherine to my wife. Which is the end of the speech, which is, which is the end interesting. Of the interesting. Okay. 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 Um, the folder digital text puts it at, uh, puts this entrance at conformable as other household Kate's. Here comes your father. So in the before the last two lines of the speech. Okay. So I don't know why the Folger chooses to do that. Like, do we know who edited that one? I we can don't. maybe ask them. I, yeah, that's true. That's true. Many editors are still alive, even when the authors are uh, not. It was probably Barbara um, Mowat, who is not still alive. Oh, okay. Well, would be my guess. I'm just fucking up left and right today. But well, okay. I mean, just she was the. Uh, yeah. The, anyway, it might also be Paul Worstein who yeah. is still alive. Anyway, I don't, I don't have a, a text of. <laughs> no, it's true. all good. I'm just again um, going off of the digital. Yeah, so yeah, um, I'm trying to find the credits on the-, on the digital. That's true. Yeah, they probably are. Um, yeah, so I find that interesting. So it's still like all over the place. Um, but but when you take it back to the folio text and to the folio placement of that stage direction you can make an argument that like there is some kind of switch at least you know that it's i think a little more useful for the actor playing petruchio right that that actor has an excuse in some way to change tactics to change something about their demeanor when that stage direction is placed where it is placed um and it sort of uh, it takes that choice away maybe um or, or it doesn't. It's not as obvious a choice to make when that stage direction is somewhere else. I, I, I have very little else to say about that in particular, except that that, for the longest time, was what sustained me for this play. Right, uh, the idea that oh, you know, Petruchio is also playing the game. He's also. Um, being performative and for whatever reason he feels like he needs to be a misogynistic asshole in front of Kate's family in order to like secure permission to marry her or whatever and for a while that was fine like I've seen I've seen many many productions of Taming of the Shrew where like Kate and Petruchio kind of bond over 
you know, not fitting in so much. And like they kind of find they find like refuge in each other because they're both kind of doing that performative stuff. But like, OK, <laughs> so but as I get older um, <laughs> and yes, as I age into my personality, um, <laughs> to Nick Miller, um, I that doesn't work for me anymore uh, because like, why does she have to play a game? Why? Kate is so mad. Um, there, yep. there isn't much in the text as to why, uh, <laughs> why she's so angry. But she does, in the few words, in the few lines that she speaks, she does say, my tongue will tell the anger of my heart or else my heart concealing it will break. And that, like, and she appears to have, like, rivalry with her sister, right? Mm-hmm. We we see, like, right before this moment when, when Kate and Patricio meet, you know, Kate's got her younger, her perfect baby sister, like, tied up or some, you know, sister shenanigans mm-hmm. or whatever. And and we know for whatever reason, um, Bianca is treated better generally in the family um, and, and is given more, granted more privileges. You know, she's handled with kid gloves. She's for maybe it's because she's the nice sister. She's the pretty sister. She's whatever. Um, I mean, these tropes always want to pit women against each other, right? There can never be two beautiful and smart sisters. There always has to be a a smart one who's ugly and a pretty one who's dumb. Yep. Right. Um, Yep. Yeah. There cannot be two. They must fight to the death if they want to be both pretty and smart. Cannot do it. Right. Um, So, so like there's, there's just so much wrong with that but like why doesn't Kate get to be angry why does Petruchio need to teach her anything at all what gives him the right to mansplain the game to her why is she being told not to be angry all the time right this is something that we tell women all the time is to hide your anger and be accommodating Mm -hmm. and make yourself small um it's so that that just doesn't work for me anymore Right. It what what is portrayed as like an act of compassion to teach her how to fit in better mm-hmm. now just feels like a way of squashing her. Well, um, so in the in the speech, um, kind of right after the household Kate's speech, mm-hmm. um, Petruchio says, uh, for patient for patience, she will prove a second Griselle and Roman Lucrece for her chastity. Um, what does that mean? Yeah, well, to unpack both of those. <laughs> uh, patient Griselda is a fictional model of wifely patience and obedience. Um, she shows oh, up in the Canterbury Tales and also uh, Boccaccio and Petrarch write about her. Okay. Um, and then uh, Lucrece or Lucrece or I don't know however the fuck you want to say that um, is uh, as in rape of. Right. From the epic um, poem that Shakespeare wrote. Yes. So a famous Roman example of wifely chastity who committed suicide after being raped by Tarkin. So these these right. two, uh, the the like apogee of women, womanhood for Petruchio is yeah. uh, a, a woman who will kill herself rather than suffer her husband knowing that she has been raped i guess right yeah it's the classic the yeah. rape vic- blame the rape victim make her yeah, kill yeah. herself out of honor 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then I, I have not read um, the Canterbury tale of patient Griselda, uh, but I think we can probably imagine right. <laughs> what right. her deal is. She, she is putting up with shit that she should not be putting up with. Um, and that's, you know, these are, I think, slightly more classical uh, references. Um, yeah. That, that we are pulling to right. say like this is what women should be and Kate is not what Petruchio and the rest of the men in her life thinks right. that a woman should be right she's so. not just because she has the audacity of <clears throat> expressing the full range of her emotions and like granted should she be tying up and torturing her sister no Am I an older sister and have I done that? Maybe. <laughs> like, I'm a younger sister and I've done that. <laughs> okay. Like it's just what sisters do. It's sisters. It's sisters. I like Although to be clear, neither Aubrey nor I are excusing sisterly. No. No. Was that? No. But like anyone with siblings will tell you that, that kind of sh- those kind of shenanigans happen between siblings, right? Um, hopefully not as much when you're adults, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it's kids, you know. Yeah. Like, okay. So, so that's, I guess that's the, that's the new sticking point for me. And you might be like, Aubrey, why did it take you so long to get there? It just did. Okay. It just did. Um, cause I do like, this was, this was one of my mom's favorite plays. Really? And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and again, as I, as I, <laughs> grow up <laughs> as I continuously get older I start to realize my mom had bad opinions about some stuff um as as do all of and our like, mothers no it's true um but like but but particularly when it comes to like romantic storylines like mm-hmm. she um she had a very particular take on like what she found what she found sexy in a dude um <laughs> And like, and it was this like Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, like, Ooh. yeah. Um, okay. But also the the neg, the guy who negs, uh, you know. That's upsetting, and I, Dory. I I know. I Dory Willock, come on, girl. I know. Um, but but it's that kind of thing, you know. And like, she yeah. loved loved Pygmalion, My Fair Lady was one of her mm-hmm. favorite musicals, you know. So like mm-hmm. that kind of guy and like thinking Henry Higgins is a romantic figure. Um <sighs> so like out of like sentimental reasons, I have attachments to these things. Well not not as much. I never liked musicals as much, but like you you get what I'm saying. So like it's taken me a, a long time to like divorce the that sentiment from from my sentiments <laughs> from like my feelings as an right, adult person right. trying so hard coming at it from like every corner every angle trying to justify anything at all that could be palatably considered romantic in this play and I don't think I can do it anymore I don't think you have to do it anymore well good because I'm not gonna <laughs> god damn it yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, every production choice I have ever seen has tried so hard. Like, they're mm-hmm. trying so hard. But they have to go so extra textual to yeah. make it okay. Like, they have to go so, so far outside of the text um, 
to to make the connection and the chemistry between these two characters work all the mm-hmm. way through to the end and the end is a doozy right mm-hmm. she like and again if you're following through if you're following the through line of like all of this is performance for the people that need to see it right mm-hmm. for whatever reason baptista uh Catherine's dad just needs to see the the traditional patriarchy at work in his daughter's marriage and you could say that like by the time Catherine makes that speech about what a wife should be at the end of the play that she is it is just a wink and a nudge over to Petruchio and they've got their own like actual thing happening over here mm-hmm. but like she's performing this for her dad who's watching and her sister who's in a bad marriage, you know? And like, yeah. so like you can make that argument and I've seen productions really try that. Um, and now it just, it just chafes at me. Cause I'm like, why just get those toxic people out your life, girl? Like, I don't know. That's a very like 2020 and beyond <laughs> sentiment that I didn't have obviously 10 right. years ago but it's like right. why why are we trying to perform for these people like are they worth her time I don't think I don't think so you know yeah I feel like I probably said this in our 101 and if not I don't know what the fuck <laughs> say I, it now it's been five yeah. years it's, yeah. <laughs> nobody yeah. remembers so anyway again. right so my my best friend Haley um who has been a guest on the pod um, has a theory that the only way to make this play work without like fully changing the text mm-hmm. is to imagine this as a, like a Dom sub relationship. Mm, sure. Um, where it's consensual and they're both getting something out of it and that's yeah. that's kind of the only way to make yeah. this okay so there's yes. that and i i would i would watch the hell out of a dom sub production of this too. play like i would too just to see if she's yeah. right if nothing yeah. else you yeah. know i would really love um, to see how that plays because you would have but, to introduce that immediately like when immediately. they first meet he'd have to like pull a little whip out of his pocket and like show you what he meant right then and there right yeah, to start that yeah, off yeah. right um, yeah I, I yes but like to the best of my knowledge that has never been done in at least a, a high profile performance mm-hmm. um i have mm-hmm. to imagine that you know some community theater somewhere has done it and if that's you reach Please out let, let us true. know yes <laughs> yeah. i know right oh my gosh um, or if you are in the position of running a community theater and you want to do that, do it and then reach out. Let us know. <laughs> uh, someone do it. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I do not have it in my power to make that happen, uh, but I would really like it to. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. <sighs> yeah. Even more now, I hear that. Um, and I do remember you saying that. Um, yeah, right. That that sounds like that's something. Her that hot take. Um, yeah, and it's a hot. T- it's like a hot, as in like like heat level, but it's also a hot, as in like, like yeah, girl, it's yeah, sexy. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you know what? I feel like the culture is ready for that now. I feel like I there's so a too. lot more openness about mm-hmm. um, BDSM in in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if a regional theater with a lot of clout were to try something like that, like I feel mm-hmm. like. 
feel like the culture is ready or nearly ready. Like that production could make them more ready. Maybe. Hey there, Shakespeare Theater Company. I know, right? Hey there, the public. Or Oregon Shakes. (laughs) Or the ASC. I I mean, yeah. Or (laughs) I'll take it up with Carter and see what he says. (laughs) The Globe. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the Globe... Like, oh, I would love fucking, it. The conservatives would lose their fucking they, minds. They would. I mean, do well, they're going to do, do that anyway. They're going to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I know people at the Globe. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. And like and perhaps, you know, perhaps like coming full circle back to the romance, mm-hmm. you know, if that factors into your definition of romance, then that's like the one way to make this play romantic. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Consent is totally romantic. Oh, first consent of all. is so sexy. I'm yeah. constantly saying that. Yeah. So like that's that's my bag. That's where I'm yeah. at now. Yeah. And uh, I can dig it. I think that's a good I you know, we we did not set out to solve any problems with this play. No, it's not. We just set out to talk about it and I think yeah. we've achieved our goals. Yeah. I think you so. Wanna, you want to gossip and then I can yeah. get back to my meal prep. <laughs> <laughs> yes oh my goodness i'm loving what i'm reading here in the gossip please yeah. tell me about it yeah uh, okay. what happened what happened so the the headline is that my students have found the podcast yes uh, i'm burying the lead a lot <laughs> so my my women in literature class um is doing a podcast as part of their final project um this semester we've got we've got five five groups who are each going to do an episode on one woman author um and they they settled on their women um this past week uh and i'm so i'm so proud of them and i'm so excited about what what they have um pitched and are going to produce um i had included on their rules for pitching a season you have to choose at least one woman of color and most of the pitches were all women of color. Ooh. And I'm just, I'm so, I'm so fired up. So the, the season is um, Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, Joy Harjo, Alice Ooh. Walker, and Octavia E. Butler. Nice. Yeah. So all women of color. Yeah. And I'm just i'm so fired up anyway uh so they the the next thing their next like thing that they have to produce is uh, a pitch for their episode in their groups but then after that they have to do an episode outline um mm-hmm. and i had given them guidelines for how to write a pitch but um had not given them anything for here's what an outline looks like and yeah. i was like <sighs> okay <laughs> <laughs> So if you promise not to tell people, I will I will give you an outline from my podcast. And they were like, what? And I was like, guys, like, clearly none of you have Googled me because this is all it's all it's all out there. And then Sarah, uh, who is Loki, my favorite student, um, (laughs) And, uh, is a, she's an English major and I had her in the fall and I have her now. Um, she's also in my Shakespeare class and, um, I've pitched to have her be my research assistant for the summer. Um, I love Sarah. Sarah. 
uh, she like Googled it like right there and of found why wouldn't she? Um, yeah, and and I guess found um, the the episode description for Spanish tragedy, and she was like, "You have a cat named Becky," <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> all right." Yep. Um, so I'm fairly certain that they are all going to go home and listen to the podcast yes. over the weekend. And I was just like, look, y'all, like, it's very sweary. Um, if you if you really roll deep, you're going to learn some things about me. And that's, you know, that's OK. So we'll see. We'll see if any of them actually listen to the podcast. Yeah. I, I gave them I gave them a list of um for I was like, look, if you are not uh, if you're not already a podcast listener, like if you if that's not a thing you do on the reg, you should listen to three or four probably different podcasts um, mm-hmm. just to sort of get an idea of like yeah. what the medium is. Um, and I, I very deliberately did not put us on the list because. Um, it's not a secret. I'm not trying to hide this from my I was going to say, are I'm you also, ashamed of us? Are you? I'm, no, I'm not ashamed. I, but like, <laughs> girl, how often do we talk about my boobs and my sex life and hey, I cut my most divorce? of that stuff out. I cut out I, all that yeah, stuff you tell yeah. me to. Yes, but the, what I don't tell you to cut does get through. Yeah. And like, it's fine. I am I am not we're not putting anything out there that I am ashamed of or or uncomfortable with. Yeah. But, you know, I generally don't expect my students to go sure. listen to this. Other people's students. Yes. My students. No. Sure. Um, sure. It yeah, seems like so, the kind of intimacy that that generates, like yes, between you and your students, makes yeah. you about as cringy as like romantic gestures make me. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm hearing. That Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are just there are things that my students don't need to know about my life. But again, if any of my <laughs> students are listening to this right now, I Hey-o. love you guys. You're awesome. <laughs> I, you know, just don't hold any of this against me. <laughs> anyway, uh, what what do you got for us? Yeah. Um, well, for those keeping track of friends of the pod you might remember that we had uh, an episode not too long ago with the very handsome and charming Brandon Carter um, who at the time was you know schooling us on Henry and Hal and whatever but also expressed you know a little bit of trepidation about playing Romeo especially at Mm -hmm. his age Um, I just want people to know that rest assured Romeo and Juliet (laughs) opened this weekend Carter and and Meg Rogers, who who plays Juliet, have done some beautiful work. They are are grappling with some really hard stuff. Like uh, Jose Zayas, our director, um, said in a in a talkback this weekend that he, you know, was he came to this play kind of processing some of his own grief, and mm-hmm. and so that has filtered into this play. And he really didn't want to make a caricature out of. Romeo being like Mopey McMoperson at the beginning of the play, like he really wanted to take Romeo's depression seriously as depression. Um, so so that already kind of puts like a like a, you know, a, a heaviness into into the play at the very top. Um, right. And the the way that they have chosen to stage, you know, the suicides at the end um, mm-hmm is is beautiful but you can tell what it's taking out of them right sure you can absolutely tell what it's taking out of them but i i just want people to know that like 
one, we have taken care of them. Like there, we have intimacy choreographers on hand to, you know, they've taken care of that angle. We have had mental health training, as I said earlier, like we're doing everything we possibly can to take care of our actors. But, um, but I just want people to know that despite Carter's fear and neuroses about it, like he's a gorgeous Romeo. Um, and Yay. Meg and Meg is a fantastic Juliet and they play so well off of each other. Um, and I highly encourage folks to come and see the show. It's a, a really, really different take on Romeo and Juliet. Um, that like just the way it's staged, like it starts out like a rom-com with like set pieces and stuff. And then everything is stripped away in the second half and it becomes very, even though the stage is bare, it becomes very mm. claustrophobic. It's just, it's just a cool idea. Um, hmm. Jose's ideas are really awesome, I think. Um, but but yeah, we opened Romeo and Juliet. We're very excited by it, uh, and I I think it's only going to grow, you know, as it as it moves through to closing, um, as shows tend to do. But so for those keeping track, um, we've opened Romeo and Juliet. It's great. Carter is great, and that's all I have to say about that. It's just my love for for the cast and it's two stars because they have worked very hard on material that they were not at all sure about so yeah i'm proud of them well i can't wait to come see it yeah yes 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 um and that's all i got yeah (laughs) that's it for the gossip um, for me so thank you for listening we hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started (laughs) or at least more entertained sure yeah. Um, tune in next time. It's our uh, season finale, mm-hmm. um, and we are we are doing uh, maybe an actual rom com uh, as yeah. you like it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe as you like it. I love as you like it. More like as you love it. Am I right? What? Yeah. Well, I'm like out. <laughs> <laughs> The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurleyburleyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurleyburleyshake, no S, on Twitter. The land on which I live and work, colonially known as Stanton, Virginia, is the unceded territory of the Monacan Confederation of Nations, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. The traditional custodians of the land on which I live are the Lenape Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Learn about where you live at native-land.ca. Get involved at ndncollective.org and find out more about the Land Back campaign at landback.org. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. Also, I'm sorry that I said Sarah's my favorite student. You're all my favorite student, but really it's just Sarah. But it's all of you. It's okay. Every student I've ever had is my favorite student. Uh huh. Girl, I know that's not true. Yeah, that's not true. But it's fine. But this semester, I can legitimately say, no, I can't. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>